What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, episode 901 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today, as I always am, by the scholarly, the lovely, and the talented, Bernie Page. So we recently did a fun thing, and it's important to talk about the fun things that we do, because sometimes we only talk about negative news items, and people don't just want to hear that, they want to hear the good things, too. I'm really straining... (laughs) What's the fun thing we did? We went to Canada. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun. Yeah. we. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with me? We went to Canada because we got our passports and we really wanted to use them. So we decided, huh, where's the closest cool location we can go to that will allow us to get out of the country for a weekend? And we landed on Montreal. Also, shockingly close. An hour and a half flight. Well... An hour and a half flight, maybe on another airline other than Air Canada. Yes. Our hour and a half flight back, I know you want to talk about Canada, but let we, me... We also wanted to talk about good things. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> our our flight back was three hours long because we circled over, like right around Baltimore, coming south from Canada for what seemed like over an hour. It mm-hmm. probably was longer than that. Mm-hmm. Because they were gonna they were gonna drive us back or fly us back and drop us off in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and then like all right well see you later anyway that not great but Montreal is amazing yes and is. even in the winter when it was twenty degrees fifteen degrees yeah it's a it's a beautiful city it is filled with amazing food. It is filled with beautiful people. Above average looking people live there. Congratulations, everyone in Montreal. And one big difference I noticed is, well, obviously the language. They um, speak French and English. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes you'll walk into a restaurant and you'll be greeted in French. And then they will determine, oh, I'm speaking to a worthless person who only communicates in one language, and that is English. And then they switch to English. Let me guess. Americans? Yeah. (laughs) It is cool, though. It's kind of a weird coded, like, bonjour, hello, and then however you respond, they just, without missing a beat, switch to that language. Yes, yes, it's very cool. And aside from that, another big difference I noticed is they do not take your credit card when you are paying. Like, they... They don't touch it. In fact, if you try to get them to touch it, it's like when someone tries to hand me their cell phone to show me something. Like, I will just, I'll let it or slip like through my hands. Or like a snotty Kleenex. Yeah, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to touch your phone. I'm not going to touch your poop phone that you take right. to the bathroom with you to take poop. Nor do you want someone, when you show their, now we're off track altogether, but when you show someone your screen and they reach to touch it, you recoil. Horrifying. Don't yeah. touch my phone. So, but but it, it they are not doing it for germ reasons. And the reason that they don't take your card makes a lot of sense. And that's because think of what happens here in America. When you pay for something at a restaurant, you put your card in the little folding thing. And then they take it away. And who knows where they're going with it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Right. And you have no idea where they're taking it. You have no idea who the person is that's handling it. You're just... Hoping everything goes well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, up to this point, and I will, that's me knocking on wood, I haven't had a problem with fraud or anything like that as a result of giving my, my credit card to a server in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. But it is, 
a lot of trust that you hand to somebody with your card, and then they walk away, sometimes for who knows how long, mm-hmm. and then come back with the with the rest of the for the check for you to sign. Yes. Where in Canada, this is becoming more prevalent here too. They have the the Wi-Fi machines that you plug your card into and then put the tip amount and then yeah. right there. Yes, and and so they will not take your card if you try to hand it to them. They'll say, no, no, you keep that. Yeah. I'm bringing the machine. Stop yeah. trying to give me that. <laughs> it, because I'm a slow dum-dum, it, it took me a while to get it, to break myself of the of the instincts yeah. to just hand it to them. Yes. Because multiple times people put their hands up like I had, like it was a stick-up. Yeah. Like, no, nope, <laughs> I'm not taking it. <laughs> yeah, but we, we really did enjoy it there. We walked by a um, place that was advertising real estate just to just to take a look at the prices because you never know what's going to happen if things go south in November. Yeah. And you never know. And so... We- you mean you want to leave the country if Joe Biden's reelected? I don't get it. What? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but it was a nice, very quick, very quick trip and it, it was it was very cool. So... For those of you that live in Canada, congratulations. And I know a lot of you do. We get a lot of yeah. listener communication from those of you who live in Canada. So congratulations. And oftentimes the communication from Canadians is, how do I, it's, it's kind of like, uh, hey, sorry guys. <laughs> We're so sorry about what's happening right now to you. This is This is terrible. We feel for you. We may have our problems with Justin Trudeau. We know your distant cousin, Jesse, but, uh, man, bad news. Yes. Yes. Not ideal. (laughs) Not ideal is one way of putting it. Yeah. So we're here to say, oh, Canada, (laughs) our home and native land. I think that's the, I think that's how it goes. All right. Well, (laughs) So before we move on to listener communication, we want to thank our Patreon supporters. Yes! Because where would we be without our Patreon supporters? We would not be here. That is for sure the case. (laughs) All right. So thank you to our new Patreon supporters. Kangaroo be stoned. (laughs) People are just fucking with us at this point. (laughs) Kangaroo be stoned. Marilyn C. Marilyn C. James S. James S. Lay D. Lay D. It may not be that. Lady? No. Just let us know if that's not it. All right. Okay. Old L. Old L. Stephen B. Stephen B. Kylie B. Kylie B. Daryl W. Daryl W. And we want to give a special shout out to Janet Marie. Janet Marie. And thank you to maybe Jeanette Marie, based on the spelling. Jeanette Marie. Really, I need to get it together. But um, Jeanette Marie became an annual Ah, Patreon supporter. That is something that people can do, too. And so let's say that you're a monthly Patreon supporter and you want to save some money. You can do the annual Patreon subscription and save 10% on the price. Yeah. So feel free to do that. And <laughs> feel we, free to do that. We, I'm really loosey goosey today. I know. <laughs> um, also, one of the benefits of becoming a Patreon supporter is the ad free show. And someone recently reached out to us and they said, hey, what about an ad-free YouTube version of the show? Yeah. And we thought, oh, wow, we should do that. So we're going to do that. We're not doing it today because we're not recording this one on video today. But we are going to develop a workflow for how to make that happen. Should be pretty easy. Yeah, I'll just put it up as an unlisted show. And then we'll put that link to patrons. And then they'll be able to click through to the unlisted show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we'll figure out if we're going to do that in two separate posts. Or maybe putting the YouTube link in the post of the episode. We'll, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll figure it out. Brittany will figure that out. Yeah, so thank you to our Patreon supporters. Seriously, we could not do this without you. We're really getting into the election season stuff here. And it's going to be a long process. And we, we are... We have, <laughs> we have a surprise coming. We do. Yes, just... No more, no more, no more uh, explanation than that. Okay. 
Are you confused by what I'm saying? Yes. The new show that we're developing that we're going to do on YouTube is a weekly thing. Oh, right. That now I've spilled the beans on. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Wow. Lucy Goosey is right. Anyway, thank you guys so much. If you want to check out to be a patron and help support the show, help produce this show, go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Let's get to some listener communication. I know we have a voicemail and an email, at least one. Let's start with the voicemail. Hi, my name is Terry. I am originally from Alabama, but I wanted to let you guys know that um, you got me through the pandemic. I lost most of my family to the Trump cult, Um, but specifically this episode touched me because I had to have an abortion when I was 17, and I had one in Birmingham, Alabama. And at the time, the vitriol and the horrible things that were spewed at me when I had to cross these Christians to get into this clinic as a terrified teenager was something that I will never, ever forget or forgive them for. I believe that the behavior of these Christians, so-called, is going to destroy that particular religion. Because when you tell me now that you're Christian, I immediately think you're a racist piece of shit. Honestly. Thanks for listening. Bye. Well, thank you very much, Terry. Uh, we appreciate the voicemail. Listen, this is something I, th- I think about and talk about a lot, and mainly because I come out of this faith tradition. And th- Christians, I don't know that it's going to destroy the faith or like it's gonna it's not gonna be there anymore they're just gonna morph into something different and christianity for decades now has been under a a a cloud of bigotry and racism and hatred that is no longer being like explained away no longer are they saying things like turn the other cheek yeah i that's just not for me. Now they're trying to explain it away using dogma and doctrine as though that's not really what Jesus meant. It's a bizarre thing that's taking place in America and Christianity uh, that you're really not in full sail. You're not witnessing it across the, the globe. And it's a, uh, it's a bummer and they're leaning right into it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your experience, Terry. And, I'm reminded of the push that I see on social media from a lot of these organizations that support abortion rights, that are advocating for abortion rights, where they encourage people to shout your abortion. And by that, they mean sharing your story of your abortion in public, if you are able to do that. Like as a means of normalizing it. As a means of normalizing it, yeah, yeah. Because you see how many people have had abortions. You see how many people you know have had abortions. You see that it is very common and that it is something that is necessary. It's healthcare. Yeah, and when people aren't talking about it or they're fearful to talk about it, then it it allows people to advance these messages that keep people unaware of, of the realities of the world. And that's not to say that people should feel pressure to talk about it if they're not in a place to do that or anything like that. But if you are able to, I think it's it's good to talk about your abortion experience so people know. So thank yeah. you, Terry, for doing that. It's uh, it's it's important. And listen, we understand not everybody's able to do that. Not everybody's, everybody's willing to do that. There are, you know, a thousand metrics that come into play that, that might prevent someone from feeling comfortable doing that. But if you are in a situation, it it can be, uh, there's a lot of utility in it. So. Yeah. So thank you, Terry. Speaking of Canadians, we have an email here from ah. a Canadian listener. And it's also related to Christianity, as Terry touched on. Hello, Jesse and Brittany. I just listened to your video. White Christian Robert P. Jones talks about the hidden roots of white supremacy in America. Great episode. This is my first experience with your content. I'm a Canadian who believes strongly in liberal, inclusive social democracy, the underlying guiding principle of both our countries. I am so impressed by your show. It is so easy to look at what has been going on in the USA in the last 10 years or so and think, holy crap, Americans are crazy. What is wrong with them? As a lot of the world is thinking. (laughs) And justifiably so. 
Your show has given me hope that there may be enough Americans to help turn around the circumstances in the U.S. and help it get back on track to try to live up to your Bill of Rights and Constitution. I will also say that I'm not a Christian. I am a secular Jew slash atheist. She's not a Christian! (laughs) And I appreciate what seems to be your tone of acceptance of other faiths or non-faith. I hope your country can get its act together. Its fate and that of the world are at stake. Thanks, Stephen. So I think this is this last line about us being accepting of other faiths or non-faiths. Yeah. This is also something that can very much vary depending on who the person is. I think that a lot of people hear us talk about religion and come away with a very different perception than than Stephen. Although I will say that I think over time, we have come around to a position of practicing more acceptance. I will speak for myself that um, as I came out of religion and started identifying as an atheist and um, moving away from traditional religion and, and emphasizing those things that there was a period where I was not super accepting of other faiths. And I think I was still in like an angry phase that a lot of atheists go through. And now I really believe that there is a utility for a lot of people in their religious beliefs and that they are beneficial in many ways and and save people's lives. And all of that is very important. And so when when Stephen says that that we appear to have a tone of acceptance, maybe that's what Stephen is picking up on. Yeah, my my thing with I mean, we had dinner the other night with with a friend who is, I think, car- categorized themselves as an atheist years and years ago, but no longer does, and now kind of has a a spiritual. There's likely something on the other side, kind of a view, and I just. My whole thing is do no harm. If you if you believe abortion is bad, but you're like, but that's for me. I'm not going to have one. But I in no way advocate for the stripping away of that medical human right from someone else. Then great. Then your religion is doing no one else any harm. If your religion, on the other hand, prescribes for you, prescribes for others, like we did... We landed on the stupid bit the other day organically about um, Rick Santorum. Right. That he believes his particular flavor and interpretation of the Bible, one of literally thousands of different interpretations, that it should be the one that we base our laws on and we write legislation on and we dictate to people how they behave and what they're able to do. That's doing harm. So... If you are doing no harm to anyone else with your personally closely held religious beliefs, then awesome. Why would I complain about that? Right. It's like, great. Yeah, absolutely. If it makes you better, yeah. Even if it makes you worse. If you're not harming anyone else in the process, <laughs> do your fucking thing. <laughs> yes, I, I think that that's a, a good way to summarize it. And also, I would say this to our, our lovely Canadian emailer... <laughs> Um, don't pass judgment too quickly on how great we are. Just listen a while. You'll probably come around and, uh, you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you know, 10 episodes deep, you're like, ah, wait, I pulled the trigger too quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I always feel that way when we get the emails from people saying that they've never disagreed with something that we've said. And oh, I'm like, yeah. just wait. Just wait. Would you listen to one episode? Yeah. There's... <laughs> There's no one that I listen to where I never disagree with them. There's always going to be something that I disagree with somebody about. We're all different. We all have different experiences. Not only that, I don't dis- I don't agree with myself on things that happened 100 episodes ago. Yeah, I don't agree with you about things. So hey, when, hey, hey, watch it. So when people are like, I don't disagree with anything they say, I'm like, we're not always saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very fluid over here. Yeah. Anyway, we'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We would love to invite you to this conversation. Have you help us move the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode basis. And uh, moving on. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we're going to briefly talk about colon cancer. Not because we have any news about Jesse. He's still good. He's still good to go. No colon cancer to be found in Jesse's colon, everybody, as far as we know right now. Cancer-free colon. Yes. Clean as a whistle. However, given Jesse's experience with colon cancer and our lengthy talks on this show about colon cancer... We thought it was important to note that a recent report just came out. By the way, for those of you who may not know, there might be somebody out there. In 2022, I was diagnosed with colon cancer, stage 2B colon cancer. They removed about a third of my colon and poof, healed. Thank you, science. Thank you, doctors. Yes. So there's a new report out that is showing that colorectal cancer is actually the the deadliest cancer now for men under 50, and I believe the second deadliest cancer for women under 50. It says colorectal cancer is now the leading cause of cancer death in men under 50, yeah. second leading cause of cancer death in women under 50. Why is that happening? This is another nail in the coffin for colorectal cancer. We talk about it a lot, Joe, in the news the last couple of years about the rise of early onset cancers and particularly colorectal cancer. Encouragingly, overall rates of cancer deaths have declined, but this particular cancer type, as well as others in younger people, this is a real issue. A couple of years ago, the American Cancer Society lowered the age recommendation for screening from 50 to 45. A lot of experts are saying that might not be low enough, yeah. right? Um, I, I think the, you know, always news you can use for people out there. Obviously, if you're having symptoms, change in bowel movements, rectal bleeding, family history, incredibly important. You should start screening 10 years lower than the age of a family member who, who developed colorectal cancer. But definitely something if you're concerned about, talk to your docs about getting screened. The issue is that insurance won't cover unless you have a symptom or a reason under the age of 45. Okay. But I can see I can see this, you know, maybe potentially changing recommendations in the next few years. Joe. It feels like just the evidence overwhelmingly shows us we got to yeah, start screening. 45 might here. just not be young enough. So I recently went to the doctor and had actually a good experience with my doctor. I went to a, a GI and this this part of this this clip where they say that you won't be covered by insurance to get like a colonoscopy unless you have a symptom or a reason. I find it very frustrating because when I go to the doctor, I and I'm asked about my family history. I always say I'm disconnected from my family, so I don't know my family history. Yeah. There's a few things that I think I know based on having previously been connected to members of my family and hearing things through the grapevine. It's always, it's oftentimes a patchwork of things you remember from childhood or remember. Uh, it's, it's not certainty though. Yeah. And it's not current. And so for people, and I'm not alone in this, who are disconnected from their families, there is this default to, we don't need to do any of these early screenings for you. We're just going to assume that even though you're disconnected from your family, you're one of the healthiest specimens right. to come into this room. <laughs> um, when you should actually assume the opposite, right? That like I have uh, fa factors that are going to contribute to me having poor health. Like I'm not connected to my family and that's probably for a reason. Like extensive yeah, would, abuse you would, you and mental illness. And the, 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 the default would be if you don't know, we're just going to count that as a yeah, you've got You've got risk factors. Right. And so I was having such a great conversation with my doctor in a way that I have not had in so long. I mean, she talked to me for maybe 20 to 30 minutes, like at length about everything that I'm concerned about. And so I decided to ask her, 
you know, this is one of my frustrations with insurance is that they seem to assume that I don't have any family history of anything. And so, you know, why is that? And she said it's it's economics. It's, you know, it would cost a lot of money to then assume that you have all these risk factors. Your health suffers because it's not as profitable for the company. So ultimately, capitalism. Right. And so that's what's frustrating about this colon cancer situation is that they're starting to see that there's an early onset. However, the recommendation is still uh, staying at 45, I believe, when you should start getting your colonoscopies. But there's people who are getting colon cancer in their 20s, in their 30s. And you still hear these stories from people that get diagnosed in their 20s that their doctor is like, you're too young to have colon cancer. Right. When that's not the case anymore. And, and it's especially dangerous because, like in my case, the only symptom I had, which wasn't a symptom of colon cancer, was I was tired because we walked a lot more. Right, after moving to D.C. Yeah, and so like I was starting to get dizzy when we would walk up hills. It wasn't even like just walking on flat ground that I'm like, oh, I'm so dizzy. It was like... It could be explained away by, oh, we're walking more, we moved. It's hot and humid here. It's hot. Yeah, the client. But you were like, just go. They found out I was anemic. If you've already heard the story, you know, it's what it is. Um, Went to the doctor. I found out I was anemic. Then he's like, okay, well, we need to do blood tests to find out because maybe you're bleeding somewhere. They did. I did the color guard thing, the cola guard thing where you you poop on the piece of paper and then scrape it and send the thing in that came back fine my cea panels were in the normal range which is a a, a blood panel that is a is a marker for a, an active tumor in you and i had an actively bleeding tumor none of these things the only thing that found it was a colonoscopy right i would there's a very good chance i would be fucking dead right now or on my way to death if i hadn't um gotten a colonoscopy right so it is the the unholy amalgam of capitalism and healthcare is uh it spells doom and death to many many people and it's something that we need to absolutely extricate from the way we we run things right. in this country right because it's like so what are people supposed to do are they supposed to lie they're supposed to go in and lie yes. about the symptoms that they're having so that their insurance will cover it. Because unless there's a good enough reason, the insurance isn't going to cover it before it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, if, if your doctor asks you, do you have a family history or, well, you know, what's going on? And you say, well, my mom or my dad or I've a, there's family history of this and I'm worried about it. Then that will trigger them to have justification to treat you. And that that's what you need to do. That's what I would do. Yeah, so I just, mean, now I'm at risk. I have Lynch syndrome with the genetic thing they found out. But yeah, yeah, it's just a frustrating situation. I'm, yeah, I'm glad that you're alive. Me too. <laughs> and it's you know, I mean, obviously, I give a lot of thanks to the doctors and the surgical team and all of the of the due diligence that was done from my primary care physician to my my gastroenterologist to my oncologist to my actual colorectal surgery doctor all of them they were just awesome um but also to you you know we're going through this again where i probably wouldn't have and not go to not i wouldn't have not gone to the doctor because of nah i'm fine that's butt stuff i don't want to blah 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 none of that (laughs) just i would have made excuses for the dizziness and chalked it up to the climate or the the new exercise or whatever right and not gone but it was you know, a lot of factors. Yeah. Yeah. Very happy to also not be dead. Yes. Yeah, very pr- exciting. Pretty, pretty great. Congratulations. Pretty great situation. <laughs> um, next topic. <laughs> so there's there's a debate happening related to immigration. And if you're paying attention to the news at all, you're seeing that Republicans are using a lot of scare tactics. I, I don't know if you saw this jesse that there's now a protest convoy that's headed to the southern border and they're calling itself it's calling itself the army of god this is a little scary because of what's happening at the border there's this 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 fight over what's happening at the border where texas put up like razor wire yeah and the supreme court actually ruled that they should remove that that the razor wire should not. Yeah, even the Trump Supreme Court, it was a split decision, 5-4, but even the, the Trump Supreme Court ruled, nah. 
Right. And Fox News picked this up with headlines like Supreme Court allows migrants to keep streaming over the border. Right. <laughs> well, you know, what's weird to me is I thought Donald Trump solved this when he built the wall that he absolutely for sure built. All of it's built. He's claimed many, many, many times. I thought is wasn't that a, 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 a solve for the problem? Apparently not. Apparently the wall fell down or maybe Biden took the wall down and now it needs to be rebuilt. Yeah. Who knows? So the Supreme Court is basically said that they're going to allow the Border Patrol to cut the razor wire that was installed by Texas. And Republicans are jumping on this. A bunch of Republican governors are headed to the border so that they can give speeches about the danger of people coming into the country. This trucker convoy is now headed down there. The new line is, every state's a border state. Yeah, of course. And so according to reporting from Vice, just going to read from this briefly, a trucker convoy of patriots, quote unquote, is heading to the U.S. border with Mexico next week as the standoff between Texas and the federal government intensifies. The organizers of the Take Our Border Back convoy have called themselves God's Army and say they're on a mission to stand up against the globalists who they claim are conspiring to keep U.S. borders open and destroy the country. Quote, this is a biblical, monumental moment that's been put together by God, one convoy organizer said on a recent planning call. Oh, interesting that he's like putting the planning call together, but I thought God was putting together yeah. the convoy. Not only this, do not be fooled and think that this is some kind of an organic grassroots movement. This is what Brittany and I talk about a lot relative to the left and our lack of organization, our lack of passion, our lack of fury and rage about the the changes to our culture and our society through law, like the abortion ban. They are being organized into a convoy to converge upon the border. They'll all be armed. They'll all feel like it's a calling from God. And this thing was organized at far higher levels of political um, awareness here in Washington, D.C. It's just, we need to get our shit together on the left. Yeah, so they're planning to, the convoy is planning to leave from, I guess, Virginia Beach on Monday, and then they are headed headed to the border. So basically there's this bipartisan deal that came together where you had Senate Republicans that were working with President Biden on coming together with this immigration deal. And I want to say that Joe Biden is not a progressive on the issue of the border. He is actually in agreement with Republicans that something needs to be done about the border. He said, if you send me something, I'll sign it. Let's solve this problem together. Right. And so yesterday, President Biden issued a statement and said, for far too long, we all know the border's been broken. It's long past time to fix it. That's why two months ago, I instructed my team to begin negotiations with a bipartisan group of senators to seriously and finally address the border crisis. For weeks now, that's what we've done, working around the clock through the holidays and over the weekends. Let's be clear. What's been negotiated would, if passed into law, be the toughest and fairest set of reforms to secure the border we've ever had in our country. It would give me, as president, a new emergency authority to shut down the border when it becomes overwhelmed. And if given that authority, I would use it day one, I sign, or use it the day I sign the bill into law. Mm -hmm. Further, Congress needs to finally provide the funding I requested in October to secure the border. This includes an additional 1,300 Border Patrol agents, 375 immigration judges, and 1,600 asylum officers, and over 100 cutting-edge inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl at our southwest border okay so you're hearing like strong language from president biden on this i'm sure john fetterman is just it's he's just jizzing in his pants hearing biden talk like that right and so what's happening is you're having republicans that are coming forward now republicans that don't need to be reelected, like senator mitt romney yeah and they're coming forward and giving us a little glimpse of what's happening behind the scenes because you hear donald trump all the time talking about the problem at the border how they're letting, what does he say, rapists and yeah. murderers. And- they're emptying out the mental asylums. They're emptying out the prisons. And these people have diseases. Like, it's it's apocalypse if you listen to Donald Trump. 
Right. And so this is like an imminent problem that needs to be fixed, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, apparently not, because he doesn't want this bipartisan deal to go forward, and he wants Republicans to blow it up. And it's for a really noble reason, though. you got to give Trump credit. <laughs> it's because he doesn't want Biden to have a win. <laughs> right. <laughs> so here's, here's Senator Mitt Romney giving us a glimpse of what's happening behind the scenes. Former President Trump has indicated to senators that uh, he does not want us to solve the problem at the border. Uh, he wants to lay the blame for the border at Biden. Uh, and the idea that that someone running for president would say, please hurt the country so I can blame my opponent and help my politics is a, uh, uh, a shocking uh, uh, development. Do you, think that, do you think this is what he wants, the issue, Donald Trump? This is why he's doing it? I think, I think the border is a very important issue for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and the fact that he would communicate to uh, Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame uh, Biden for it is uh, is really appalling. So what does that say that 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 what he is saying carries the carries weight here? What does it say that Republicans are listening to? Him? Well, what is shocking that politics plays a role in this building? Uh, absolutely shocking. I can't imagine that's but the case. Ukraine is on the line. But the, but the reality is that that uh, we have a crisis at the border. The American people are suffering as a result of uh, what's happening at the border, uh, and someone running for president ought to try and get the uh, you know the problem solved as opposed to saying, "Hey, save that problem. Don't solve it." Uh, uh, let me take credit for solving it later. We are in a situation in the country where this kind of behavior is now completely been normalized in Republican circles, where members of Congress are now talking like this. Like it's the sport, quote unquote, of politics, the game of politics and of policymaking is is the game itself is what's most important now and and chalking up a w rather than actually solving problems is paramount to republicans they want that they want that political win and they're not even like trying to act like that's not what's at stake here they're just open about it right because even this this convoy that's headed to the border right all these messages are about protecting america and right. defending america's borders because our country's going to hell and if they actually believed what they were saying then you'd think that they would take action and not delay action for Donald Trump to be able to be the one that has the political win. If there really are an eminent army of rapists and mentally ill psychopaths and drug dealers and killers and diseased people ready to spread another pandemic on the way, then, then they would, if truly that was the case, they would stop at nothing. Well, you would think so at stopping that, at, at ending that from happening. Instead, it's like, nah, don't give Biden the win. Let's wait months down the line, nearly a year down the line when Donald Trump would be reelected, right. would actually take office right. to do something about it. Come right. on. They're just fucking liars. And the best example of this, I think, what came in the form of Senator Josh Hawley, and we've had the... He's the, the best example of several things, Brittany Page. Yeah, we <laughs> we had Luke, Lucas Kuntz on, who's running against Josh Hawley. Yes. And Josh Hawley, was, so we're going to play two different clips, okay? One is Josh Hawley being interviewed by NBC News, and then the second one is him being interviewed on Fox News with Laura Ingram about this issue. So the first one, again, this is going to be NBC News, where Josh Hawley is asked to weigh in on if the immigration deal is really going to be off the table because of Donald Trump. Let me, can I make a prediction here? Haven't heard the clip. Yes. Let me guess. He's far more reasonable in the MS in, or in the NBC clip than he is in the Fox News clip. I guess we'll just have to see. How would you respond to critics that are saying that this is just being pushed off to make it a campaign issue for President Trump? Well, is it being pushed off? I mean, I don't know. I mean, first, you'd have to go talk to the minority leader. We have record numbers of illegal immigration. Why? Because of this president's policies. So he doesn't know. He doesn't know if it's off the table because Donald Trump wants it to be. He doesn't know that yet. But what he does know is that it's a serious problem. Huh. The border is a problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's a reasonable response from a sitting United States senator. And then he turns around and goes on Laura Ingram's show. 
Senator, is this deal dead, effectively? Uh, I hope so. It should be. If it's not dead yet, it should be dead. I mean, there is absolutely no reason to agree to policies that will just further enable Joe Biden. There's no reason. You just said that there's a serious problem at the border. What do you mean there's no reason? Further enable? What what kind of coded language is that? Yeah, and for the record, I just want to say that... I don't know what the solution is, right? I, I'm This is kind of above my pay grade, but I do think that Joe Biden is taking too much of an enforcement approach on this and feeding into some of these Republican narratives about the fear-mongering of people coming into the country. And you always hear Republicans say, well, we caught this person and we caught this person. It's like, yeah, so you caught the person that right. was a problem coming over the border? You mean the system worked. Yeah, like, <laughs> isn't that not something you should say as a part of your argument? Yeah. And another instance of this is Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick. One of the fucking worst. And so, again, in the context of... Republicans have an opportunity to do something about the border that they're so concerned about. And here's here's Dan Patrick talking about what his concerns are. We have a right when the federal government, we believe under the Constitution, we believe it's our right to protect our people, pure and simple, and to protect our country. The federal government is not doing it. That was part of Article 4, Section 4, when the United States was founded by the states, we created the government. They had a deal to protect us against invasion. Now, Joe Biden wants to argue what invasion is. Eight million people who have come into this country illegally, murderers, molesters, terrorists, rapists, gang members, drug dealers, carjackers, kidnappers. That's invaded. And by the way, who is sending all of them here? Who's getting paid for it here but armed cartels? That seems like an army to me. Here's why I don't take them seriously on the issue. This is why I don't think the issue is as serious as anybody says it is. Is because if it was as serious as Dan Patrick, the dumb fuck right here is saying, he would be advocating for the Senate to pass a bill that Biden's going to sign, that he's already signaled he's going to sign. But because they're behind Donald Trump and delaying passage of something that would solve the problem, it leads me to believe there's not really the problem that they say it is. Right. Yeah. And there's an added element here that I guess we haven't touched on, but it's just so present in every statement that is made by a Republican, and that's the racism. And it it is just constant. I mean, it's just loaded with racism, all of these statements. And there was a reporter on the ground here, Armando Torres Garcia, and in responding to what Dan Patrick just said, this reporter says, do you think that the words that you're using, do you think the things that you're saying have the potential to inspire another El Paso shooter, referring to the shooting in El Paso in 2019? In the Walmart, yeah. Right. Sir, the, the El Paso shooter railed against a, a quote-unquote Hispanic invasion. Are you worried that your words are going to inspire the next look, uh, look, attack this, or violent no, attack it's against it's Hispanics question. or silly migrants? Question. Look, this is a silly question. That was a crazy individual um, who, who is a despicable human being that did that, okay? So leave that out. Look, the people that are crossing today are coming from all over the world. We just apprehended yesterday someone from Lebanon. Now ask me, how does someone from Lebanon get here? How's that work? Nigeria, Syria, Iraq, China. How do they get here? Cuba. So he's like, oh, no, no. The words that I'm using apply to everyone who's not American. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and well, no, no, no. It's also all of these other brown people. Right. And he <laughs> and he's like, no, that the El Paso shooter was a crazed individual. Well, who do you think this convoy is filled with? with these organized far-right extremists who are headed to the border to do what when GOP lawmakers are calling for a civil war and there's already these extreme tensions on the border what what is this convoy filled with well not only that and that is absolutely true I've seen uh videos online of these guys who are like I'm gonna be there my two a rights we're gonna have a look they're 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 acting crazy it's horrifying but for him to say that's a silly question. That individual, that was a crazed individual. As though there's no other crazed individuals who will be inspired like the El Paso shooter was by the words of a Ben Shapiro or a Dan Patrick. 
Right, by the fear-mongering. Right, even even if we give it that, yeah, he was a crazed individual, he was inspired by right-wing ideologies to commit his horrific act of violence against um, uh, Latinos in that Walmart. Right. So fuck straight off, Dan Patrick, you goddamn demagogue. And we need a moment of levity here, I think. And, we and- need me! <laughs> And we're going to get it in the form of Billy Eichner's Billy on the Street. Oh, yes. Billy on the Street is a great show. I don't know where you're able to watch it, but Billy Billy Eichner is a comedian that I love and think is very funny. And he used to have this kind of pop culture quiz show where he would aport, approach people in the streets of New York City and ask them questions about pop culture. And he designed these very funny games. And it's just a great show. It's not like new. There's no new episodes. Billy on the Street. Yeah, there's no new episodes that are out now, but one of his... Well, he's a movie star now, so... Yeah, he's not doing that He's not doing his little fucking (laughs) reality show on true TV anymore. But it was great while he was doing it, and there was a game that he played once called Immigrant or Real American, where he quizzed someone on the streets of New York City in a game where they had to name quickly, after he gave a name, whether they were an immigrant or they were a real American. Okay, here we go, Kevin. Immigrant or real American? If you get enough right, you have a prize to take home to Alex. Here we go. Immigrant or real American? And away we go. Mila Kunis. Immigrant. Yes, correct. Jeffrey Dahmer. Real American. Uh, Yes, correct. Piers Brosnan. Uh, Immigrant. Yes, correct. Charles Manson. A real American. Yes, correct. Salma (laughs) Hayek. Immigrant. Yes, correct. Gloria Estefan. Immigrant. Yes, correct. Ted Bundy. Real American. Yes, correct. Charlize Theron. Uh, immigrant. Yes, correct. Antonio Banderas. Immigrant. Yes, correct. The Unabomber. Real American. Yes, correct. Craig Ferguson. <laughs> He's an immigrant. Yes, he is. Lee Harvey Oswald. Real American. Yes, correct. The Boston <laughs> Strangler. Oh, God. Real American. Yes, correct. Cesar Milan, the Dog Whisperer. He's an immigrant. Yes, he is. Timothy McVeigh. Real American. Yes, he is. Na- Natalie Portman. She's an immigrant. Yes, she is. Jackie Chan. Immigrant. Yes, correct. Casey Anthony. She's a real American. Yes, she is. Carlos Santana. <laughs> He's an immigrant. Yes, correct. Albert Einstein. He is an immigrant. Yes, he was. OJ Simpson. A uh, real American. Yes, correct. Did he win? Yes, you win. Billy on the street. <laughs> He's making dreams come true. Billy on the street. So that's a perfect illustration of what we're up against here with these Republicans constantly talking about how murders and rapists and terrorists are going to come into the country. It's like, okay, we have that problem here. Right. right. But also, remember when Greg Abbott, when the when the, the abortion ban was being talked about initially, and they're like, well, what about exceptions for rape because of all the rapists? And he's like, well, we're going to outlaw rape. We're going to we're going to get rid of the rape. Mm-hmm. And then what, what happened with that plan, yeah, Greg Abbott? That didn't work out. <laughs> and I just did a video about a, a new research that was published um, where they estimated the number of pregnancies that have resulted from rape in states with abortion bans. Tens po- of thousands. Post-Dobbs. And in Texas alone, they estimated that there have been just over like 26,000 pregnancies resulting from rape since yeah. they um, banned abortion in, in Texas. So very disturbing stuff. Obviously, there are rapists in America. We all know this. And it's it's disturbing that they try to use these tactics to scare people. And ultimately... And it works with their racist right-wing audience. Yeah. And I ultimately, mean, it really resonates. Get people to fill convoys filled with people headed to the border to do God knows what. The abortion news really uh, is is so important. It is a bummer that certain topics aren't clickable in our in our social media landscape that we've kind of curated for ourselves climate change um health care uh, there's several death penalty but abortion is another one and the, the issue is is growing and expanding and and bills are being debated all over the country not just in these right-wing states yeah so just this week in wisconsin the Republicans who control the Wisconsin Assembly approved a bill that basically, I guess, was calling for binding a statewide referendum to ban abortion after 14 weeks of pregnancy. Right now, the current Wisconsin law prohibits abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy. 
And the bill's supporters, the Republicans, say that they wanted to close the window after 14 weeks because they want to save more fetuses from death. And so we just want to give you a preview of the kind of Republicans that were making these arguments. And we're going to start with State Representative Joel Kitchens, a Republican who has a um, an interesting employment background that he feels makes him uniquely qualified to talk about this issue. The question is whether abortion is health care. And if you believe that a fetus is a human life, then abortion is not health care. You know, in my veterinary career, I did thousands of, of ultrasounds on animals, you know, uh, determining pregnancy and that kind of thing. So I think I know mammalian fetal development better than probably anyone here. And in my, in my mind, there's absolutely no question that's a life. And I, th- I think the science backs me up on that. But this is really a moral question. And I recognize that not everybody's going to, that's in here is going to agree with me. And if I had the oratorical skills of Lincoln, I still wouldn't change a single mind over there. They'll just let anyone into a position of power, huh? Yeah. If I have the oratory skills of Lincoln, well, you don't. (laughs) You do not. You're a stumbling, bumbling fucking idiot. I think I know more about the mammalian fetal development than anybody here. Because I did some dog ultrasounds. Look, one time I did a bird ultrasound. Well, that's not a mammal. (laughs) That is, who knows? Them lizards, it's kind of the same thing, y'all. Yeah. So, good times with... (laughs) Yeah! Get them ultrasounds on them mammalian family. Fetuses. Always happy to have a veterinarian weigh in on the... (laughs) abortion law in the state of Wisconsin. So then we had Republican Wisconsin State Representative Ned, Ned Wetzke. And this is a woman who is is giving her perspective on this. She's not a veterinarian. She's a woman. And so she has a, a personal approach to this. She's bringing her own personal perspective as a woman to this issue. Pregnancy should be voluntary. My body, my choice. More phrases from the hearing, Mr. Speaker. I agree. Pregnancy should be voluntary. That's why I support common sense health education about how a woman becomes pregnant and how to prevent pregnancy. That's why I support increased access to contraception, over-the-counter availability, and extended prescriptions for oral contraceptives. That's why I support the efforts of pregnancy resource centers to connect women with providers and avenues to access to contraception and care after birth. Because I believe pregnancy should be voluntary, I support the exceptions in the spell for medical emergencies and for rape and incest. However, Mr. Speaker, I also believe in personal responsibility. Mm. Except for the tragic circumstances for which exceptions have been made in this bill, most women are not forced to get pregnant. The implication in this phrase that restrictions on on abortion somehow force someone to become pregnant is, again, a sinister manipulation of language that implies that it is somehow someone else's fault if the choices a woman makes lead to pregnancy. At the end of the day, Mr. Speaker, unless you have been in a tragic situation outside of your control, if a woman doesn't want to become pregnant, there are choices involved in that. Who let the cast of Fargo in here? (laughs) (laughs) I love, there's several things here, but. The, the first thing is, I love this argument that is basically just, you've made, you've made your bed, now lie in it. Yeah. And it, as though a child resulting from pregnancy is a consequence that people should live with because they made choices that you don't agree with or that you don't support. Yeah. And now they need to learn a lesson by having a kid. Yeah. Well, rather than terminating the pregnancy when it's a clump of cells. 
Right. I mean, I, I, I just, I don't understand this logic. And then she's talking about how she supports birth control. She supports sex education. It's like, well, I would like to see the record on all of that. Like, she's are also, you really putting legislation forward and making sure that people are wanting to support those yeah. things? I mean, how, how much are you actually supporting those things? She's bringing a real 50s uh, uh, worldview. Here's what I think, yeah. You you know, uh, there we should be prescribing the the aspirin so ladies can keep one little aspirin between their knees so their their legs don't open and they can't get the pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think over there, veterinarian? <laughs> you gonna do some ultrasounds? Yeah, you I, know. You're blending a lot of different accents. I you don't, don't fucking know what's going on over I, here. I definitely do. I'm the accent guy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you were the accent guy before you did whatever that was. I was almost slipping into Jamaican. It was. I, Irish, it sounded like for a while. I don't know what was happening, but yeah. So also, of course, the other the other element of this is that these Republicans will often say that abortion is murder. And, you know, I don't know if that's her position, but she's like, unless it's a really tragic situation, we're not going to be doing that. Then you know? we get to murder them all. Yeah, it's just, it's so inconsistent. I, it's all over the place. It, it, it is, that's, again, it's, it's a la the, 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 the Dan Patrick thing. That I don't buy it because he's not really taking it that seriously. It's the same thing with these people. If they truly believed it was murder, then it would be, yeah, no, no, you, you can't murder a baby because it was the, 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 the product of, of a rape or a sexual assault. That's just, you're going to murder another living being. Oh my God. Yeah. It's tragic. We can't do that. It's like, well, oh, molestation, rape. Yeah. Let's murder it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we can murder that. Mm-hmm. It, it does. It's inconsistent. Yeah. And good thing it is. So, yeah. <laughs> so we would love to hear from you on any of these topics, 657-464-7609, or you can send an email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Pixies, pin pals. Pixies Pen Pals? Yes. Are you trying to pick titles and taking care of business that are just going to be Pixies Pen Pals? Plosives <laughs> in the microphone. No. It just is working out that way. So this is a Virginia program that pairs inmates with shelter dogs to work together in what becomes a very positive and healing relationship for each of the parties involved. That's Miss Gigi. For Gigi, Dallas, Zara, and Phoenix, the first stop on the road to a second chance is in an unexpected place. Down. Yes, good girl. The Beaumont Correctional Facility, a temporary home for these dogs and others, and a way to get them out of Virginia's crowded shelter system, where the animals often face the risk of being put down. Good boy. Stay. The unique program called Pixie's Pen Pals is a partnership with the prison and Fetch a Cure, one that was severely missed during the pandemic. It allows inmates, some who are serving decades-long sentences, to work with a professional trainer and behavior specialist to get a dog ready for their forever home. Oh, it's a win-win-win-win-win because, you know, we're opening up a spot in a shelter. Obviously, these guys are learning so much. Team building, conflict resolution, you know, it's so, it's a lot of um, give and take, a lot of compromising. And it helps you real far, you know, dealing with people, uh, not just the partner, but, you know, the other guys that's here, you know, and we are advocate for the dog. Teaches us, like I said, how to be patient and kind of productive and just finally being able to do something good. There's not too many jobs while you're locked up that you feel good about doing. Dogs like Gigi will train with their handlers for six to eight weeks until they pass their canine good citizen evaluation and can be adopted into a new home. It's a paid job for the handlers, like Christopher Dudley and Benny McCroskey with Dallas, a pit bull mix, and Chance Winnington and Delvon Finney with Zara. They're paired up in teams, and the dogs stay in their cells with them. You, know, you, you have to come to terms to 
together on, you know, and it teaches you a lot of skills in that way, too, of being able to communicate. Yeah. That's why schedules are really important. You know, you're feeding off of each other. You're, you're learning from each other. You know, you got to know sometimes, like, I don't know it all, and I've got to sit back and know when to listen. It really reads all your all your energy, your body language, so it's important, you know. And being on the same page with training. The result, smiles on both ends of the leash. Like I said, it's not just therapeutic for us. It's for in the morning, all the guys are lined up for work. And they love him. He comes out and greets each one. So they're all, it brings their day for the day. It really does give you a purpose. Like when you have something to get up in the morning for and you know, like, okay, this is what I'm doing today. This is what, you know. It changes the dynamic of being incarcerated. The vast majority of any population we're here for violent crime, being entrusted with the life and the welfare of another creature, it kind of changes your perspective. You know, it may even give you a different worldview. In Richmond, I've always had rescue dogs because I feel like there's wonderful dogs out there that just haven't found the right home. Penny is a proud graduate adopted by Susan Bennett almost seven years ago, one of about 80 rescues placed each year. When they said, well, Penny's ready to go home. So I went up to the prison. Two inmates there that had trained her. One of them gave a presentation about telling me that she liked to cuddle and she was house trained and she loves cheese and she likes to chase birds and all that kind of stuff. Really a lot of good information about her and her personality and how she loved to snuggle and things. After she had finished the presentation, the other inmate had Penny on a leash and so actually showed me how she knows to sit and stay and shake and and down and those types of things. And then they gave me a nice little um, portfolio that they had put together that had all their notes as long as, as well as all of her medical records and everything. How sit. Long has sit. Sit. I love the dual purpose of it helps a dog that needs a home and at the same time it helps the inmates to help them really learn those life skills. Meaningful connections on all sides <laughs> and living proof that you can teach an old dog new tricks. More Barrett, NBC News. I knew that Thanks was coming. Watching, stay updated about breaking news and top I knew that was coming. Yeah, it well, always... And after all, you can teach new drivers through the old tricks, everybody. <laughs> so, I... Good story. I don't mean to make fun. I know. How dare you? You're really shitting all over it. So, <laughs> I didn't notice it until I just heard the woman saying inmate a million times repeatedly, but I think I said it before I entered the story, and that is a term that is not ideal now the preferred term is incarcerated person so just all right just let's w- calm just, the fuck down just want to note that so i i love this story number one because we <laughs> we love dogs around here as evidenced by our patreon end of your gift and our yep. constant talk about sweepy we we love our dogs but what a great program to be able to save dogs from being killed at shelters while at the same time humanize and save incarcerated persons (laughs) who are again paired with um, a fellow incarcerated person to uh, work together to train a dog so you're also learning people skills and working with another person who may disagree with you about the approach or whatever and you have to problem solve you have to work together to get this dog ready to then be adopted and even in in the more immediate it's a companion for an inmate somebody in jail that's fucking absolutely listen you should just because you commit a crime and you get sentenced to prison you're in prison you're an inmate you you, you shouldn't goddamn your life should not be just of no value or worth to anyone ever you should oh you're devoid of any good experience or love or comfort or companionship Come the fuck on. That's just, that's cruel and unusual. Right. And a dog is, man, yeah. is a, 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 an ointment for the fucking soul. A dog is making me emotional even talking about it. Yeah. Love. A dog is love. Well, and I remember when I worked at the psychiatric hospital that I worked at in Southern California, they would have pet therapy where sometimes it was a bird, but oftentimes it was a dog. Where's, that- uh, where's, I can't see his name. Where's that Wisconsin veterinarian when you need him? There would often be a dog the that would- The question is whether abortion is healthcare. 
<laughs> there would often be a dog that would visit the units. And when the Why does that guy have a Sargent a Sargento cheese voice? Oh my god. Listen to that. The question is whether abortion is health care. I love the Sargento cheese. <laughs> Just another opportunity for you to do your fucking accents. So the the dog when the dog would walk onto the unit it would just bring so much joy yeah 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 immediately people would light up not and, so much the bird and well i think people were confused by the bird <laughs> i mean birds are scary fucking dinosaurs so I, it didn't help that they would have to like sanitize their hands after touching the bird yeah. and that was like really heavily emphasized my aunt growing up had fucking parrots and sh- be- birds with like scary bite ass beaks that would They'd take a chomp out of you, man. And that, yeah, they you have to be warned, like don't go at it here. You know, like this is where you need to pet. It's like it's too many rules. This is like an unruly right. animal. I don't know why it's here. And with meanwhile, the- dogs with like a you know yeah. thirty razor sharp chomp teeth. Yeah, they don't care what you're doing. Yeah. You know, they they just want to be loved and and pet. And, For sure. And so it would bring a lot of joy to people. And yeah, it was always great to see. So it's it's uh, nice that programs like this exist. So shout out to Pixies Pin Pals for the work that they are doing. And thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your listenership and your loyalty and your, your love and dedication for this program that you've shown over the course of the last almost 10 years. It is awesome. If you want to take that next step in the relationship with Jesse D and Brittany P Ooh. and become a patron on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would invite you to this conversation. Call us and leave us a voicemail. 714-57. That's the wrong number. 657-464-7609. And you can email I doubt it at dollamore.com. Again, we love you and we will see you next time for Brittany Page. I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.